There were two girls from the West Indies who grew up in the 50s and 60s. And even though they came from different families, they did everything together. One of them was Kavi. That used to be me. We've done all right for ourselves, huh? But we can do better. Men, no more poker. Or cockfights. Promise me. You don't like me betting? Where you think all the money for this shop come from, huh? Len, Batwa. Half of our customers are buying our credit, which they never pay back, by the way. Am I supposed to let them go without? Forget I ask. I have to get back to the show. I was fast. I was always in a hurry. Always looking for a way off the island. Just like my mother, who left when I was 11. Hi, Hope. Good morning. My name's Emily, one of your ministers here. And... I'm starting to wonder if I'm the only person who has fallen in love with this series, Black Cake. Anybody else? Um, I saw it on social media and just decided to give it a try. And I mean, seriously, I am just smitten with this uh, actress, Mia Isaac. She is a teenager. She is so gifted. And her character, Coventina, is also just this beautiful character who is just so interesting to follow. I just was, like I said, I was just smitten. And the character, she is the child of a Chinese immigrant and a Jamaican mother uh, growing up in Jamaica. And you, you heard in that clip, her mother is troubled by her father's gambling. And that is going to descend them into more and more problems and chaos and lead to some deep family secrets that this series unravels. And as I watched the series, I also kind of just was fascinated by this glimpse into a culture and characters that someone like me, middle-aged white lady from Iowa, I just really never get to see that kind, of, uh, that kind of culture. And I have to say, I also, I also am very curious to try black cake. I know someday I'm going to get a chance to try it. It is this Jamaican fruit cake that is served at like weddings and special occasions. And I, yeah, I look forward to trying it. I am someone who loves exploring languages and cultures, and I find the world very fascinating that way. I think that's also part of why I find this collection of ancient writings that we call the Holy Bible fascinating, uh, because on the one hand, it is the Holy Bible inspired by the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther calls it the cradle that holds the Christ. And isn't that the truth? When the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us through the words of Scripture, it changes and transforms us and our world. And so, obviously, I revere and love it for that. But also, this is the most extensive, probably the most well-preserved artifact of 
ancient Near Eastern culture. And sometimes it's just kind of cool to explore it. And I have to say, explore it we must. Because our mission, our theme this year as a church is to be a church after God's own heart. And so this Lent, what we are doing is looking for the heart of God. Who is this God we want to follow and emulate and have our heart after? So we, we are digging into scripture to find that out. And as Pastor Ashley pointed out on Ash Wednesday, uh, you might encounter things that make you uncomfortable in this process. It tends to be that when the Holy Spirit's working on us, when we are growing in faith and in life and discovering things, that can be uncomfortable. And one of the uncomfortable things that we discover is this rhythm that Pastor Scott pointed out to us last week, that scripture and life both reveal that God has embedded a rhythm into creation of order and disorder and reorder. And when we are in order, when things are ordered, we love that. That feels good. Everything's a little predictable, and things roll along, and that feels great. When things start to move into disorder, when our lives or creation start slipping into chaos, that's when we have questions. That's when we start saying, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? And I have had this beginning of 2024, kind of a crash course in this rhythm. I started out in January ordered. It was so nice. I had finished some classes that I was working on, and so I had a little extra margin. So I I got the extra housework caught up, and I even found time to plan our family vacation. And uh, my husband was having a milestone birthday, so we thought we'd try something new, that we would take the family on a cruise to the Caribbean. What a privilege, right? Awesome. And you know, I, it's too bad I didn't know about black cake before we left. I could have looked it up. I could have looked for it. But uh, all of that order also applied to our trip. I spent the time to make sure that this trip was planned to the nines. We had the rental car so that we could get back and forth to the ship. We um, had all the highly rated shore excursions planned. I even went to the doctor and got us those little ear patches to make sure nobody would get seasick. This was ordered. So, So have any of you been on a cruise? Are you cruisers? Yeah? Have you been to the Caribbean, to all those beachy places? Yeah? You can go ahead and say it out loud. Was it glorious? Was it great? Yes. Yes. Okay. So it was probably someone just like you who told us that this was going to be a relaxing vacation. Yeah. Who would have guessed that it would descend into chaos on the flight out of Des Moines? One of my kids came down sick on the flight. So we were basically, she was limping through the whole vacation. We were just trying to keep her going. I was miserable, that part. And then you know what else I discovered? I discovered that my seasickness outpaces ear patches. Yeah, all that delicious cruise food you all told us about. Yeah, I got to enjoy none of that. The only meals I ever will get to enjoy in life are on solid ground. And this might look great, but actually there's another picture that tells the story better. Ah, yes, this awkward family photo. (laughs) 
<laughs> compliments of the cruise photographer, is now my favorite picture because that is how our vacation felt. I could go through all the sordid details. I don't have time to tell you all the misadventures we had on this trip. But leave it to say this. On our very best day, on our best excursion, the one where I took that other picture, we were having a great time. Every single member of my family by the end of the day was stung by jellyfish. I'm not even kidding you. I had it easy. I just have this one little sting on my wrist. One of my kids had a 3D jellyfish-shaped blister on her side with blister tentacles going off from it. You guys, it was bananas. It was chaos. It was disorder, uncomfort, so unfair. And you know what? That's not even the worst of it. Well, not for me anyway. So we're on a ship in the middle of the ocean, right? And my allergies flare up, like really bad, to where it put pressure on nerves and my inner ear and gave me vertigo. Yeah, so we got off that boat in mid-January. This girl has not had solid ground underneath her since. I am on my third round of steroids right now to try and get that under control. Oh, but that's not all. Since we got back, I've had the flu twice. <laughs> I started out this year ordered. It was going so great, and it has just been a story of disorder, chaos, and more chaos. And I tell you this story, obviously, hopefully, I'm glad you laughed because it is funny. Also, to let you know, we're going to be talking today about how God is a deal cutter. It's going to show up here. There we go. God is a deal cutter. And whatever disorder is going on in your life, whatever feels uncomfortable that you wish God would take care of, you and I, we're in the same boat. I don't know if it's the roid rage, but I am here for the deal. God, you just give me the terms. What do you want? You want my money? I give. My time? You got it. An unblemished dove? That's a little harder to come by. We can keep negotiating. Let's still work on that. Circumcision? I'm not Abraham. Is that really part of the deal? We'll get to that later. But isn't that how it goes? When things are not going our way, when we get to the end of ourselves, that's when we are ready to cut a deal. We want help, and we need someone. And in our story of Black Cake, our girl, Coventina, well, her dad, Lynn, has been gambling. And it makes sense when his family emigrated from China to Jamaica, they opened this little grocery store, and it's always struggled to turn a profit. So from a young age, he tried to use gambling to augment the family income. But all it's done now is got him deeper and deeper in debt, and he cannot get out of this hole. So he keeps turning to the island kingpin named Little Man to cut him a deal. And what Lynn thinks is going to save his family only sends them further and further into disorder. 
take a look at what happens. Middleman Henry was here. He put his hands on me. I wanted to call the police, but I know what you said about them in the past. That, that, that we had to be careful. Yeah. I... Let's calm down. I can explain. He asked my permission to visit you. And you gave it? I did. Clarence would like to court you. Since when you call him Clarence? I'm sorry if he came on too strong. Where did he get the idea that he could court me when I'm not even old enough to date? The only way I can get us out of debt and to protect our home is through this marriage. Marriage? What happened to courting me? I've been asking about you for some time now. I put him off as long as I could. I just warm up to him. Show him that you're trying. Don't do this to me. Please. I wish there was another way. It's hard to watch, isn't it? Lynn's dug himself into a hole so deep that he doesn't even realize Forcing his daughter into a marriage with little man amounts to selling his own child. And this series is mature. So there are things that are hard to watch. As these characters try to reorder their lives out of their own power, and they keep turning to the wrong source of help. Isn't that what happens when we try to reorder our lives by our own power? And some of you, you might be thinking, there you go, Emily. You just gave the perfect illustration. God's just like a little man. He's the one who has the power, and he's just waiting for us to have that moment of weakness that he can take advantage of and make outrageous demands from us. And in some ways, you're right. But God, he's no little man. He's a big man. He's got all the power. And when God sees you in your disorder, in your chaos, I'll tell you what, he is not looking to take advantage. What we see when we look closer and closer at the heart of God is someone who's actually a terrible negotiator, which is an interesting thing because historically, God is one of the original deal cutters, one of the earliest records we have of cutting a deal. Uh, have you ever wondered why we use that phrase when, when, when we're bargaining, that we cut a deal? It's, uh, it goes back to the ancient Near East. And uh, so I think maybe we should nerd out for a minute here and take a closer look at this practice that God uses. Uh, the English word for cutting a deal, for the deals that we cut, uh, in Hebrew and in 
Greek is covenant or testament. These, these are two different words that are used to translate that same idea. And you can recognize in that, that's why our Bibles have an Old Testament and a New Testament, the Old Deal and the New Deal. And that's actually a little bit misleading. For one thing, the Old Testament actually has four deals in it. God makes promises with four different people. First with Noah after the flood. Then what we're going to dig into right now with Abram, who becomes Abraham. And then with Moses, you heard about that in our reading, uh, Moses and the Hebrew people. And then he makes a fourth deal with King David, making a promise that David's descendant will rule forever. And you'll hear more about that deal next week. So we kind of have these four deals that are wrapped up together, and we call that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Deal. And the Hebrew word, when God makes these arrangements, is this word here, bereath. So it's fun to say old Hebrew words, so say it with me, bereath. Yes. And you'll notice, you can see the similarities in the words, that there is this root word, bara, within that word. And the root word, bara, means to cut. So are you tracking with me here? I think this is kind of fascinating that the word for covenant or treaty, alliance, in the Old Testament, this root word means to cut. So the word deal has cut in it. And the reason why shows up in Genesis 15. So Abram has not become Abraham yet. He is encountering God for the first time. And when he does, something pretty special happens to him. So we're going to read this verse together about what happened to Abram. Ready? And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Doesn't that sound familiar? It reminds me of a verse I heard when I was a kid. Now here I thought the Old Testament and the New Testament were so completely different from each other. Completely different agreements. And yet, what I learned in the New King James Version as a kid, let's read that together. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Isn't that interesting how similar those verses are about what happened to Abram and what happens to us? Could it be that you and Abram were actually saved the same way by the gift of faith that God gave you? in his promises. So picking back up in Genesis 15, why we, we cut a deal. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will really possess it? In two verses, Abram goes from righteous faith to doubt and uncertainty about whether God will do what God says he will. Righteousness 
faith to doubt so quickly. And that reminded me of an, a conversation I had with a hopester last weekend. He had been on Saturday at the Holy Spirit retreat with his alpha group, and he said it was fantastic. He said his favorite part was the Q&A. And part of that was because Pastor Ashley was there, and she gave really astute and helpful answers to the questions that she answered. But he said his favorite part about the Q&A was hearing everybody else's questions and realizing that even there among all these people of faith, that he wasn't the only one who had questions, who was not sure about everything, who felt some uncertainty. And I said, yeah, amen to that. That is what happened to Abram. He went from righteous faith to asking questions and being not so sure. And how did God respond? Well, he threw Abram in hell for a couple of hours until he promised to quit asking questions. (laughs) Of course not. That is not what God did. No. When Abram needed reassurance, God cut the deal for him. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. All of these animals will eventually be the ones that are considered appropriate for sacrifice. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. So are you tracking? He cut the animals in half, except the birds, which I'm glad because doves are tiny. I don't know why he cut that in half. Uh, Thank goodness God doesn't ask us to split doves. So then after the cutting, God showed up. After the sun went down and the darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant, a brief, a testament with Abram that day. God saw Abram's faith and his uncertainty. And God responded by showing up in a way that would have made perfect sense to Abram. There's extra biblical evidence, so other things outside of the Bible that confirm that that kind of a ritual of of slaughtering animals was part of how treaties were sealed in the ancient Near East. So when the people of God, the ancient Hebrew people, first heard this story, what God was doing would have made perfect sense to them. God didn't sign a legal transaction. God did a bereath, a covenant with Abram. He created a moment for Abram that is probably a lot like some of the moments you've experienced. Abram, what God gave him was appropriate for him in his place and time. And God gives you moments too. In your baptism, when you feel the water, in Holy Communion, when you taste the wafer, when you are among God's people, when you hear the gospel, when you feel the Spirit move as you're singing together, these are moments of real-life interaction with our one true God, where God's grace becomes something that's real, that you can touch and see and even smell and taste, moments that bind us to God's promises 
That's what God did for Abram back then, and he does for us today. So I'll I'll circle back real quick. I mentioned circumcision earlier, so let's go ahead and go there. God changes Abram's name to Abraham, and he requires surgery. Interesting. I actually think that God's demand for circumcision is similar to Jesus' command for Holy Communion. And this is why I think that. Because God gives us these singular moments where we are bound to our faith once and forever. Baptism for us, cutting the deal for Abram. But God knew that we would have a hard time staying in faith. That we would be bouncing back and forth between our faith and the sins that we commit, the doubts, the questions that we have. He knew that that would happen because the fact of the matter is when the all-powerful God of the universe looks down on you and says, you, I see you, I choose you, you are mine, you, I love you, that one, you're chosen, you're mine. There is nothing logical about that. It makes no sense. It's crazy. You know it's crazy because your life experience has taught you when people have power, they don't just give it away. They take advantage of it. They see what they can get with it. When they have the upper hand, they make an ask. So how could our logical brains even comprehend that the God who is all-powerful would give away his love and ask nothing in return. It makes no sense. Our brains try to override what we know by our experience in our hearts and in our souls. And when bad things happen, when hard things happen, when disorder and chaos happen, it just confirms to our brains, yep, I was right. It is crazy to believe. There's no way that God's just giving that away for free. So I'm grateful. Abram was probably grateful that God gave them this mark on their bodies to remind them constantly that they were set apart, that they were chosen, that they were God's own. And I'm also grateful, even though I'm not a guy, That when Jesus came, his followers concluded very quickly that something new was happening. That God's promises were breaking in in an exciting new way that was going to change everything. So when Jesus came, we got a new covenant, a new testament. And we got new ways to receive God's assurance. One time, once and forever, and over and over again as we would need it. Baptism and communion and worship to bind us to him. I think it's pretty cool because you know what? Abram, he got what he needed, dead animals and surgery. But you know what? We get a bath and a meal. (laughs) Yeah, didn't God know how to reach his people, especially his ones in Ankeny? He knows what talks to us. But I know you're smart. There are way more demands in Scripture than just those. 
So who am I trying to fool, right? I'm not trying to fool you. You are right. There are hundreds of rules in the Old Testament, and there are lengthy passages in the New Testament setting out the expectations for what will happen when God's people are faithful. But Pastor Mike, he shares a fundamental principle for how this works, for understanding these expectations that I think is really helpful, so I'm going to share it with you too. Um, Faithful behavior kind of falls on this scale, right? There's requirements on one end and suggestions on the other. And you know this. Requirements are hoops you jump through because someone in authority is making you. You don't do requirements because you want to. You do requirements because you have to, because someone has power over you or something. Suggestions, on the other hand, suggestions, take it or leave it. If it's not convenient, you're never going to do it because it's just a suggestion. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't mean anything. But there in the middle are expectations And that is what God has given us. Expectations for how God's faithful people will live. The rest of the world who doesn't have God's grace, they will do whatever they do. They'll take care of themselves first. They'll try and order their own chaos. That's fine. That's fine for them. But for God's people who know that this crazy God has done this crazy thing for us, well, we end up doing crazy things for others. Because he's chosen us to be his children. They're not requirements. There's no prerequisites to be God's kid. You already are. But they are not suggestions either. Because when God has put his love, his grace, his hope in you, then you have a desire to do what God advises. I like to think of God's advice for faithful living as cheat codes. Now, are there any gamers here? You guys know what cheat codes are, right? Well, we learned the hard way. Back at the turn of the century, it's kind of fun to say, my husband won an Xbox at a tech conference. And all of his gamer buddies were super excited for him. You're going to get in on this now. We'd never had a game console like that before. So one of his friends lent him what was the hot new game at the time. It had just come out, and it was the thing, Halo. So my husband brings Halo home, and we're all excited. Now, I have to tell you, Halo is rated mature. It is not for kids. But the good news for us at the time was we didn't have any kids. I was pregnant with Corinne. So we were like, let's put this in. Let's see what's so cool about it. And we went from so excited about this new game we were going to get to play to so disappointed in about 30 seconds because that is how long we lasted every time. We'd hit start and we'd be dead. And we turn to go, be patient. We're going to get better at this. Everybody loves this game, so we just have to keep trying. We'll figure it out. And we did not figure it out. Hit start, die. Hit start, die. We turned it off. We were like, this stinks. 
we turned on an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond to save our night. And my husband went to work the next day, and his buddies were like, how was it? And he was like, it stinks. It's a terrible game. And they were like, did you try to play Halo without the cheat codes? And he was like, what are cheat codes? Cheat codes are these back doors that a coder who was helping write the game of Halo wrote into the code and then secretly distributed on the internet, which was not as strong yet then, so that was why we didn't know. But Brian brought home this elaborate uh, set of buttons and things we had to press on the right screen, and we brought it back out and we gave it a try. And we went and we did it when we did it right, bam! We had unlimited lives. And then we used this other cheat code, put it all in, and when we got it right, bam! We had unlimited ammo. Yes! So then we spent the next month of our lives conquering Halo before the baby came. And you know what? It was still really hard. We had a lot to figure out. It's a complicated game, and it took us a month. But it became doable when we had the assurance of unlimited life and unlimited resources. I am sure there are people out there who have taken on Halo without any cheat codes and somehow managed to get through the game. But what? If the creator wants to lend you a hand, why wouldn't you take it? God's guidance for faithful life he wants us to obey him because it matters. Because when we are in obedience, our lives go better. And the lives of people around us do too. It's not required. God's love, forgiveness, his favor, it's already yours. But why would God instill you with his love and his grace and the desire to obey and not give you the guidance for how to live that out. Even though he knows you're going to fail over and over again, we are never quite going to get it right. But he has a deal for that too. That's when you come to church, when you get to hear it again, when you get to experience it again, to get you back into your faith, to hear you are his children, his beloved ones. And you don't have to get it right to be loved by him because you can't work hard enough to earn your grace. All the hard work was already done by Jesus. New life is already yours. And you can be filled up with that. If we're going to be a church after God's own heart, then we need to see that it is God's heart for us to be gracious deal cutters. When we recognize that we are in a position of power, that we have the upper hand, that is not our chance to take advantage, to get whatever we can get. That's our opportunity. That's our opening to share love and grace and hope. We don't want to be like little man or even Lynn. Who we want to be like are the people in black cake 
who loved Coventina and put that love into action. Over and over again, as her life kept descending into chaos, and they kept helping her move forward with their love. Because y'all, you know what? That is the cheat code. Love always wins. It always prevails, even when it looks like it's losing, even when it's nailed to a cross. Because what we know when we have the promise is that whatever disorder we might be living through, resurrection is coming. Order, disorder, reorder. Our God is a God of life and death and resurrection. And Coventina gets to experience that when she reconnects with the worthy boy she fell in love with before her dad set her up with little man. See what happens. Take a look. My baby don't care for shows. My baby don't care for clothes. My baby just cares for me. Back then, it was easier to disappear. Back then, you could open a new bank account or get a driver's license with just part of your birth name. Promise me that when we have a family of our own, we'll start fresh. I want this to be the only wedding night we remember. I'll never speak of it again. Back then, Gibbs Gilbert Bennett Grant cut all ties with his past to be with the woman he loved. Happy anniversary, Bert. Doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it feel good when the disorder gets reordered? When you get to experience that redemption, that moment of resurrection, that glimpse of what God has in store for us. I started out telling you all of the miserable ways that this year has started in chaos for me. But even through that, I've been surrounded by people of faith who've been praying for me, helping me out, holding me up. And I've even got to glimpse some miracles this week that have moved things in the right direction. I'm so excited about that. You all, that is my prayer for you, that out of your disorder, out of your chaos, that you would hold on to the hope that resurrection is coming. Easter will be here soon. God sees you and loves you and has great plans for you.